You're listening to the Flying Goat Farm Podcast with your host, Lisa Check. This podcast is for people who love yarn and fiber and sheep, who love to knit and crochet and maybe even felt. We will be talking about the crossroads between keeping sheep and goats, making yarn, and expressing your colorful self. In this episode, Dallas of Dancing Leaf Dye Works and I talk about cicadas, sheep, yarn, and color. Dallas talks to us about how she finds balance in her life, and I hope that we can take some of her advice when it comes to finding balance in ours, especially in this in-between time when we are between isolation and opening back up and trying to find a balance between where we have been in prior times and where we will be going. So I hope you enjoy. Hi, everybody. It's Lisa from Flying Go Farm, and I'm here with Dallas from Dancing Leaf Dye Works. And um, how are you today, Dallas? Really good. Yeah, it's a gorgeous day and um, just getting to work. So nice to talk to you. Yeah. Um, how are the cicadas in your place? Pretty loud. <laughs> Have you seen a lot of them, though? And I, actually, I like them. Um, when I was when I was listening to them yesterday, I thought I'm really going to miss them. So I really am trying to trying to take them all in now. I, I, I do appreciate them. So I may be one of those rare ones. Well, this is my first time since we've only, I only moved here 17 years ago. So we came in, I came in October of that year. So they were already gone. So this is my first time experiencing them. And so far I can hear them and I can see them on the driveway, the dead ones, but, and I can see their holes, but they're not all over everything yet. No, it's different in the country for sure. I hope so, because I've seen some pictures of people's stuff and their cicadas all over their bushes. And it's like, mm. yeah, like they can't even walk. Yeah, that would be gross. Yeah. So I've known you for probably almost as long as I've lived here, probably maybe 15, 16 years. But I don't know how you started in the business. Well, I started back in the 80s, probably uh, maybe 1985. Um, bought, bought this farm in 1983 and, um, I rescued, um, one sheep named Lucia and she wasn't even, I didn't really know about sheep like wool breeds and meat breeds and dual purpose and all that. And I think she was just a meat breed. So her wool wasn't that great, but I didn't really know about that anyway. So anyway, she was my first sheep. And then I thought, well, this is kind of cool. And and my property was set up for sheep because back in the day, my house is almost 100 years old. And there was a sheep fence and a barn for sheep. And I guess there were sheep here. So I thought, well, this is cool. So um, I I ended up getting some goats, um, just Nubian goats, and um, some more sheep. Went up to Wisconsin and got um, some beautiful, beautiful um, Lester no, not Lester Longwell, a Lincoln, Lincoln breed, um, and a border Lester. And those were uh, my two girls. And then I started breeding. So from there, um, it just, it just went. And I ended up with uh, 22 sheep after many, many years. And um, I had all this wool, didn't know what to do with it. I kind of started this whole thing backwards with the sheep, had all this really nice wool. And fortunately, in my area, there are a lot of um, 
women uh, shepherds and that spin and dye and knit and weave. And so one in particular, Peg Coleman, um, was my mentor. And she took me under her wing and she lived very close by on a beautiful, gorgeous farm, uh, about 50 acres with a log cabin um, that was built in like the 1700s that she restored. So she taught me everything about uh, first dying. And then I had all this uh, roving uh, that I had a process into roving and I didn't know how to spin. So she taught me to spin. And then I had all this beautiful yarn. And so she taught me to um, knit and then weave. So that's kind of how the whole, whole thing started. And then I started going to the sheep and wool fest with like two pounds of roving. <laughs> <laughs> Were you one of the originals at Maryland Sheep and Wool? I was, I was there a long time ago, but I definitely wasn't an original, original, uh, but it was, there might've only been maybe 50 vendors or 30 vendors when I started, it was much smaller. And then of course, as we know, it just blossomed from there. Exactly. Exactly. Where did you have the, your um, fleeces processed at that time? Did you have to send them out to Michigan or? I did. I I was very loyal to Frankenmuth. They were the first ones that I used and I used them for the whole entire time. And now I'm only down to two sheep. And I, so I just use the, they have really beautiful locks. So I don't really process their wool anymore. And I use their locks for, uh, I hand dye it and sell the locks for, uh, crafters or, or spinners or uh, felters or whatever. And that's how I use it also. Uh, and, but back in the day when I had it made into roving, I would sell the roving or I would spin it myself. And if I, my goal every year was to spin whatever I had. And that's know, a lot. When I had a process. They were always shoot in April or or yeah, usually April. And uh, so then it takes sometimes five or six months to have it processed. So I had that time was my goal to always have have that done. And uh, when, when you have 22 sheep, that was a lot to get through in the year. So if I would have too much, uh, I would send some of the fleeces up to McCausland's in Prince Edward Island in Canada and have it made into blankets. So it would take 10 pounds of raw fleece to make one queen size blanket. So I had a lot of the blankets made also. Uh, So now I don't do that because I just use the sheep's wool, the sheep's locks. Wow. And McCausland still makes those, those blankets. They've been in the business a long time. They are wonderful. I, on my bucket list is to go visit their factory. Me too. We should do a road trip. That would be fun <laughs> to pack up a truck with some some fleeces. Yeah, that would be really fun. That would be fun. I've looked at it before, and it would. I think it would take like three or four days to get up there. I mean, comfortably, right? It's a pretty long drive from here to up there. It is. Yeah, I, that's on my bucket list too because I want to see how they do everything. I know. I'd love to see it. I, I just love their blankets. I That is my go-to wedding present uh, to people that live in colder climates. And they just, they just love it because, you know, you raise, you raise the fiber, 
you know, right. And then it's it. They really like uh, the Hudson Bay blankets. People are more familiar with those. Um, they're woven and then fold. And I used to I, I let my I have three boys and I let them each pick out what what color they wanted. And uh, so they got, you know, a blue one, a brown one and a teal one. Uh, but now I just always get the cream color with the gray stripe. So, you know, just kind of neutral and just wonderful. I, I have them on all my beds. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's really neat. Um, and so you're using your, you, what, what breed of sheep are your, do you have right now? Um, as I said, I just have two. One is a tease water and one is a blue face Lester. Oh, okay. Oh, and does your blue face have the really tiny little corkscrews? No, they're really long. You know, they just kind of float down. Okay. Kind of wavy. Yeah. Yeah. They're, those are beautiful. Yeah. And they get to be about in one year. Sometimes they can be about eight inches long. Wow. That's really long. And that's so different from my fine wools where, you know, it takes them a year to make like three and a half inches, right? Really short because it has so much crimp in it. Neighbor has cormos. So you can imagine the, the, the crimp is like a little tiny zigzag. I mean, it's just. Exactly. Well, that's what I have too, is the cormos. And so, yeah, it's, it's luscious, but it's like, it takes forever to grow out. <laughs> she coats all hers. So it keeps it really nice. Uh, I coated mine because I thought, oh, I want really nice white fleece. But then it, would, it started to felt. And with mine, before they're sheared, I just do this to them. You know, I just kind of go go through and fluff up their their uh, wool, and it all everything just falls out. So it's it's just different. It's surprising what the different reads how their how their wool is and how humidity reacts to it, and right vegetable matter sticks to it, and whatever. So yeah, I used to coat mine, but it's so hard to keep them in the correct coat or keep them in a coat. They're never quite the right size. They're either it's too tight. And or and then the next size is too big. And then, you know, there's various things to try to make them smaller, but it then they get a foot out the front. I'm, oh, it's a headache. And since I send all of my stuff out to be made into yarn that um, it's like, you know, the mill will get out all that stuff. Right. So, yeah, it's just so hard to do that um, to keep them in the coats. It's crazy. I know. And, and I help her herd them in and change their coats. And it's always, it is always really hard. And yeah, then, so you know, you've been there. <laughs> you look out and there's one dragging behind and everything. So, and somehow they rip the sides, you know, I guess that like they may be itchy or they're trying to get it off. And so they, you know, come up, go across the fence or a nail or a something. So, and then, then you have a whole pile of coats to have to, um, to have to sew up. Yeah. And so I don't know how they do it. And I look at Lee Langstaff. She lives really close to you. And, you know, she's got what, 50 or more. And I go by her place all the time. And I always look over and, and she has really fun coats that some of them are tartans and some of them have flowers and, um, you know, they're all, but uh, I mean, she must have 50 sheep and they all have coats on and she has to keep changing them all the time. So I think she's made some of those coats herself and that especially the ones for the, for the, um, for the lambs. I think 
they're so cute. Some have, some have flowers. They're really fun. They're yeah. felt, felted. So you can, yeah, they're made of wool. <laughs> yeah, which is so cool. Wool coat on a wool coat. Yeah. So do you, as far as like textile artists, do you consider yourself mostly a dyer, mostly a felter or a, a conglomeration of everything? I would say I'm mostly a dyer because that's what I have been doing. Somehow I got onto that and it just stuck. And I think because um, I'm an artist anyway, I was a graphic artist. um, And then I I dabbled in in watercolor and uh, oils and acrylics. And so it was all about the color. Everything is about the color. And so I really liked that. doing that on you know onto yarn and of course then it opens up you know the knitting and and I was a weaver for a while I had three different looms but it's just such an alone type of of thing so I don't know I I did it for a while but then I I just decided that I didn't want to weave anymore and sold all my looms and all that I'm glad that I learned it because you know I have that to go back to if I ever want to, but the dyeing is what I really, really like. And you get so much variety of having, having done it for so long, you see the styles change, the colors change, the bases change and just everything is just always a growing, growing uh, market and uh, by the most and I have a dye kitchen in my basement that's all set up I can mess everything up and not have to clean it up when I first started this as I said I have three boys and they were young at the time and I was doing it in my brand new kitchen and you know white countertops and I would get dye everywhere and I'd have to do it while they were at school because uh, it's you don't want kids around that and so I would be scrubbing with with a comet and, you know, getting everything off. And then everything was nice and clean when they came home the next day, I'd mess it all up again. So finally we put plumbing in the basement and a washer and, you know, a stove and everything. So now it's just a dream, even though it's kind of dark and musty down there. uh, I have good lighting and it's just a nice place to retreat to. And I can, like right now I'm just dying to order mostly and I can just go down and turn on a couple pots and get some going and then go off and do something else. Uh, so it's something that uh, I know that I have ADHD some. And so it's like, Oh, I can go do this, but I don't have to be down there the whole time watching water simmer. Exactly. Go out and mow my lawn or, you know, do some computer work or, or do something else. So this uh, this business fits my lifestyle very very well because you know there's so many facets to it and I think I get bored easily with things and this has so many different things going on that it has kept me entertained for all these years so I feel yeah and before this pandemic hit I was somebody that I died every single day I would die something every day and then after you know the business just changed so drastically in the last 12 months. So now I'm like you, I'm dying to order a lot. And um, so it is nice to be able to just like put on a couple pots, put on your timer and then go and do something else. It really is nice that way. 
And it, it's kind of, to me, it's like a no-brainer because, you know, somebody wants Charleston in uh, woodsy color. And so it's just like, okay, I know how to do that. And you don't have to think of all these new colors or what base am I going to do or will people like this? It's it's totally different the, the way this last year has been. And it's kind of a reset. And it, I think it's going to be hard for all of us to go back if if they have Rhineback this year, it's going to be so hard for me to start dying in August or whatever, you know, to to build up that stock again. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and starting, I keep thinking I'm going to just start earlier so that I can like go slowly into it um, so that I don't feel like I'm overwhelmed at the end. Yeah, it is going to be. Well, looking at it, your stock right now it looks like you're pretty well stocked <laughs> yeah i mean, keeping you know i do keep a production list um but yeah there, there's some holes in there i've been really good at moving things around to make it still look good <laughs> it fluffs up <laughs> yeah that's helpful so when you do come up with new colorways and things what do you how do you figure out your what it's going to be do you look at inspiration first or do you um, go down and look and see oh, what do I feel like making and then come up with names after? How do you work that all out? I think it just varies. It's probably everything, all of the above. Uh, I do see things. I'm out in nature a lot because I hike or, or bike every day. So I'm seeing these color combinations that already happen that we're all used to and people are familiar with that. So I think, you know, they like that. And I know what colors go together. I tend not to do complementary colors, except maybe, um, maybe purple and green. I usually go on the color wheel. I'm usually the colors that are next to each other. Right. Analogous color. I like that too. Because they flow one Mm -hmm. into your eye can kind of handle all that and say, I only do three colors. Well, those three colors are going to overlap each other and make other colors, but they're all going to like flow nicely together. Whereas if you're doing uh, complementary colors across the color wheel, um, they're going to clash, you know, those colors are going to clash in the middle and I don't like that as much. So that's, and, and to me, that was just innate. It's not something I just, I learned or anything. It just like my eye, it's pleasing to my eye. So that's how I do it. But I will see like a butterfly or a bird that has really cool colors or a customer will come in with um, this shirt and I go, Oh, those colors go so well together. I wouldn't have thought about that. I could put this dash of lime green in there and I'll make all those other colors pop. And as far as naming them, a lot of times I will probably dye it first and then come up with a name. And a little thing, a little cheat thing that I do, um, I have a, back in the day I used Duron paint, you know, and so I have a color wheel that's about that thick that has, I don't know, maybe 20,000 colors in there and they're all named. So say I have uh, a purple, so I'll go to the purple one and, you know, the purple passion or purple peony or whatever. So uh, some of those is is an easy way to find a name. The other thing that I started to, to do is that sometimes people buy yarn because of the name of the yarn. Yes. 
popular TV shows like Stranger Stranger Things or Schitt's Creek or uh, Game of Thrones. So in that respect, like for Schitt's Creek, I just Google Schitt's Creek and what comes up, you know, and and I'll pick certain uh, colors like the motel was pink and yellow and, and gray. So that and white. So those that was my Schitt's Creek color. Uh, and you and did want Mora too, right? Was was black and white. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of easy, uh, but that's what makes it fun, and that that's my interpretation. And uh, as as what we have been doing, Lisa and Karen and I, the farm chicks, uh, every month we pick a photograph, and it is our interpretation of of that photograph. And every single month we look and it, we're just, we're so different. Um, we, we of course pick the same colors, but just the way we apply them to the yarn or the way they overlap or whatever, they're, they're very different. We're very different from each other. Um, and it's fun because people then go from place to place and collect them. Um, so they're kind of, it's, it's kind of an event in that way that right. we've set up, which is makes it really fun. All the colors will go together. You know, right inspired by the same photograph and what's fun is when a customer comes back and shows us what they've knit out of uh you know our minis or our skeins and oh this is karen's and that's lisa's and so you can kind of tell you know that oh yeah that was that june colorway so yeah it makes it really fun it's it's been a fun collaboration to do that i think yeah and i really do like like to do that so and the other thing that I draw inspiration from, I'm on Instagram all the time and, you know, you're scrolling down and then all of a sudden you'll see this beautiful bouquet of flowers or this beautiful artwork or something. And you go, oh, that is just so cool. So I'll do a screenshot of it and I'll, I will use that. I hope it's okay with them that, <laughs> that I do that. Um, well, then it's a matter of public record, really. And you're not... You're using it as inspiration. It's not like you're copying a yarn or something. And that's, I, I come up with a lot of, a lot of things like that. And what's really fun when I'm scrolling through Instagram, this has happened to me so many times, the three, you know, they're all different, all different people, all different um, people. And the pictures will match. And it's like, that is just so weird. And all that the- is you know, and I tell to do, tell people to do that with Pinterest as well, that you can go and make, you know, a color inspiration board on Pinterest and collect things. And then you kind of figure figure out what your color sense is, because I think a lot of people um, that come to us, they're afraid of color. They like what they they don't know exactly what to pick. And so, you know, developing that color sense has been um, really, really fun for me to help them with. Right. And it, it, and it is fun. And for us, because we work with it so much, like I said, it's innate. Yes. It just seems like it just comes naturally. Uh, But I think that is something a lot of people struggle with. Also it's whatever is in fashion. Like I'll go to, I'll go to the store and just kind of walk through the women's section just to see what, what colors, because of course, when you're knitting, you're making something to wear. So you kind of want it to go with what's, what's in fashion, you know, right, right then. So. Right. That's a good idea as well. 
That's awesome. So you are one of the people I am a workaholic. So, you know, I just <laughs> am. I'm, you should see my planner. It's crazy. But but you are somebody that I think has has mastered the art of of, you know, life in balance. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about that, like especially in these times where everything has been so out of whack. You know, how do you keep your life in balance? Yeah, I think it's made a lot of us look inward. And because when you're in a routine, like a lot of people do work outside the home. So you get up, you get dressed, you know, you go to work, you eat there, you come home, and it's that routine. Well, that was just thrown out the window. So now you're home, and you have to manage your time so much differently. And how do you how do you do that? And I think a lot of people were anxious about that or bored or sad or, you know, whatever. And or overwhelmed if you had, you know, the husband's also working at home and the kids are, you know, doing home at school on the computers and all that. One thing I think I'm thankful for that I'm, that I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one benefit. Yeah. House. Cause that, that would have been, that would have been crazy, but um yeah, as far as, as time management, it is like with the dying, you can go down and put it on and then come up and do your computer work, um, you know, your social media or whatever, and go out and photograph. Uh, or I can go, okay, I have an hour where this is the, the dying is, is simmering. So I'll go out and mow the lawn or and then get off the lawnmower, go down and check it, turn it over, put more dye on and, you know, do it that way. So I I definitely fill up a day uh, doing that. But I also take time. I'm selfish this way, I think, is that I take time for me. And that means either hiking or biking and, and getting outside. And to me, it's not like, oh, I have to do this. It's like I want to do it. Um, and it's not even to nourish my soul or to do any of that. It's just that I just like doing it. Um, and I just feel like we all need the exercise because dying is not sedentary. Dying is, uh, you know, dying yarn. I didn't even realize it because I just do it, you know, but somebody said, another dyer said, this is such physical work. It's so hard. And I never even thought of that. But because you just do it, you know, just like carpentry is hard or whatever, and they don't think about it, they just do it. And but it's lifting those heavy pots of water and lifting wet skeins and and running up and down the steps and you know doing all that. It is physical, and and I should just carry. I don't have a Fitbit. I should just carry my phone with me all the time to see how many steps I do a, a day. Just just that. Um, so it is, it is active, but knitting, I say is a sedentary sport. So, and people can sit me included. I could sit for three or four hours knitting. Um, I mean, I'm up, up and down a bit between all that, but I feel like we just need to move more. Um, if I'm going to sit for three hours, I better be moving for three hours too. Um, so I just, I just feel that way, uh, and how I, how I balance, everything out but it's not like I mean to balance it it just does I think when you decide that you're going to go so you said you you know bike or hike every day so do you like set out uh, you know I'm going to go and do this trail today or do you just like get on the road and and walk up the street 
Yeah, I do both because uh, I, I live a- across um, from a really large field, you know, hundreds of acres. So I can walk around there, except right now they haven't made hay yet. And it's like past my knees. And so it's just too, it's way too hard to hike in there. But uh, I live in an area too, where there's so many trails and I have uh, many friends that hike. So I don't really plan it out. Uh, I, I just say to Krista, where do you want to hike today? And what time? And it's around the weather or around our different schedules or whatever. So it might be eight in the morning and it might be six at night um, or in the winter, you know, we try to go in the middle of the day when it's the warmest, yeah. when it's 32 degrees. <laughs> And then then you like to do these really long bike trips, too. You were just gone for four days, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm going on another um, three-day one next week. And um, that is important to me, too, because that's why I like doing this business um, and a one-woman business uh, is that you're your own boss and you're your own scheduler of time. And I can crank it up or I can, you know, bring it down, uh, the business. And years and years ago, I thought, you know, many times this would happen like every three years in my mind, I should really grow the business, you know, because look at this person, they're doing this and this, and I I need to do that. And so I would think, oh, I need to rent another place because I can't do it in my basement. I need to have this person and that person and hire them. And I think, no, what am I thinking? (laughs) I can't go away for a month in the summer then. And, and I would have um, people to pay and mouths to feed and that type of thing. But if it's just me, I can scale it back when I want to. And I hope my customers understand, uh, you know, if it's just a week at a time, you know, that's pretty easy. But when it's a month at a time, I kind of have to shut it down and, um, you know, so that's a little more difficult. We are both really lucky because we both have, a space where we can kind of retail. It's always, always open if we're around that kind of thing. So it gives us a little bit more flexibility, which is really nice. Yeah. Cause people say, what are your hours? And I said, whenever you want to come. Yeah. And that's one of my questions. So if people want to come by and shop, what is their, what is your preferred way to, for them to contact you? Either email me, which is the best because then I have a record of it. Uh, or give a phone call and just say, I want to come out on Tuesday at 10. And that's fine. You know, I'll, I'll be here for that. Um, so that works out, out fine, because I really don't keep regular hours. And everybody is living such a busy life. I mean, before the pandemic, especially, but even with it, it's like, yeah, everybody's a little off kilter. So um, being available when they can come is, you know, the best way to do it, I think. Yeah. And it's worked out. It's worked out very well. And people do like to come at off at off times, but we do offer quite a, quite a bit of shopping experience with our monthly things. And then I'm on a three times a year, I'm on another studio tour that's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then just special events uh, on the farm. And I'm just starting to uh, ramp up my classes again. Oh, good. And I need to put, you know, that on the website uh, because I think we can safely do small classes again. So Exactly. So what, what classes do you teach then? I teach um, Nuno felting, a scarf, and uh, painting with wool, and um, some knitting, but, but mostly, mostly the felting. 
That's awesome. So if people want to get a hold of you, um, tell us what your website is, your Instagram. All right. It's almost everything is Dancing Leaf Farm. Two years ago, I changed the name from Dancing Leaf Farm to Dancing Leaf Dye Works. So I have both domain names and you can reach me at either one. But uh, my Instagram is Dancing Leaf Farm. Facebook is Dancing Leaf Farm. My website is uh, dancingleaffarm.com or dancingleafdieworks.com. I'm on Twitter, uh, Etsy. I have an Etsy shop, Dancing Leaf Farm. So there's a lot of different ways uh, to, to get a hold of me. Um, but mostly uh, it's, uh, you know, my website or Instagram. And on Instagram, uh, you know, I post all the events, the sales, anything special that's happening. Uh, that's kind of my go-to uh, social media platform, uh, but also Facebook. That's awesome. So where are you? Have you already hiked today or are you going to a little later? Uh, pretty soon. <laughs> where, where, where are you going to hike or bike? Uh, hike today. Um, I Yeah, I had a choice of which should I do, which I because it's a perfect day for both. But I'm going to hike up in... Uh, near uh gambrel oh fun yeah it's a perfect day for that so. so thank you for joining us today it was really fun it's you know like i said i've known you for a long time and we've worked together pretty closely like for the last four years but i didn't know all of your backstory and so i think everybody will love to hear that too and what well, we're happy that you're out maintaining your balance yeah I know, I know. Well, I enjoy the rest of the day and, and thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. Great. Talk Bye. to you soon. Bye. 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 Well, that's this episode of the Flying Goat Farm podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review. Have a question you'd like me to answer? Send an email to goatherd at flyinggoatfarm.com. And to see our farm and yarn and roving, check out our website at flyinggoatfarm.com. Follow me at Flying Goat Farm on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm Goat Herd on Ravelry. Until next time, happy making. <laughs>